You're listening to Season 2, Episode 7 of the Whistleway Podcast. On this episode, Kyle and Brian break down some of the key aspects when picking a farm. Then Brian shares an item that allows the media team here at the Whistle Realty Group to capture stunning pictures, while Kyle shares an item that could help you land new build business. Now roll that intro. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Whistle Way Podcast. My name is Kyle Whistle with Whistle Realty Group here in San Diego. My name is Brian Kochi with Whistle Realty Group here in San Diego. I am the media and marketing manager. I love that you repeat it. Because like, I was ready to go into it, and then you, you went three with Whistle Re- I was like, ah, it was my turn, and so then I was like, let's just keep going with it. So I'm with Whistle Realty Group. He's with Whistle Realty Group. We are with Whistle Realty Group. So is Tomcat. Go figure. Tomcat behind <laughs> the scenes with Whistle Realty Group as well. Yes. Uh, so guys, the goal of this podcast is to give you the tools, the techniques, the strategies that you need to go out there and absolutely crush it in your business whether that be real estate, mortgage, or just any business in general, right? These strategies will work across the board in business. And the way that we work this show is you guys ask us questions, we answer them. And if you guys want to know where do you ask the questions, it is in our Facebook group, The Whistle Way. If you guys want to get there quickly, you can go to thewhistleway.com. That'll link you to our Facebook group. That'll also give you the opportunity to subscribe to the podcast or to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that we can stay in touch. And if you have questions, ask them in the group. And it gives information about Media Mayor Mastermind. Oh, we'll talk about it. Um, so Media Mayor Mastermind is an event. Well, let's talk about that at the end. Oh, you're let's, teasing. You're teasing right well, now. Well, I mean, I want to give value first before we Is we it a plug. Whistle Realty Group event? No, I mean, it's hosted by Whistle Realty Group. Oh, okay. Anyway, let's get into it. <laughs> What's the question today, Brian? So we get a lot of questions about farming um, on our Facebook page. And so I wanted to kind of break it down into probably three segments. So this will be farming. I'm going to call it Farming 101. And basically, how do we get started with farming? Um, and again, why don't you give the definition of what farming is? When I first got hired, you guys talked for two weeks about farming. Finally, I had the balls to turn to someone and say, I'm pretty sure he's not talking about growing corn, but I don't know what it is. What does farming mean? So what is farming first? It's where you go to the store and you get seeds. Pretty sure this is not and it. And then you put the seeds in the dirt. In the dirt. And then you put water on the seeds and they grow. Okay. That's farming. Okay, and then so you take these products and you eat them or you sell them. Okay. So that, that, that's 101. That's how you start. You just go to the store. Yes. Uh, how does it work in terms of business? Oh. Well, that could be a business. You could make money from the products that you sell from selling corn. Yes. Okay. Continue. How, how do you farm? How do I farm? I mean, corn I like a little bit, okay. but I, I like lettuce. I like tomatoes. This is not... I'm, I'm not, going the wrong direction? This is the wrong direction. Oh, okay. Um, so the farming that Brian is talking <laughs> about is exactly what I just told you about, but you're just applying it to houses. Instead of buying seeds, these are houses in the real estate space. So what farming is, is when you pick a general area that you want to focus. And now, this we'll be clear, farm. there's two different types of farming. There's actually probably more than two, but the two primary types of farming, there is geographic farming, which is focusing on a geographic area. There's also demographic farming, which is focusing on a specific demographic, which could be military. It could be 55 plus. It could be 
people who love cats and eat ice cream seven days a week. Those are all different demographics. So yeah. there's two primary types of farms. There's probably some other offshoots, but demographic and geographic are the two primary farm types that are out there. And so let's dig into geographic farming. I think we can make another episode on demographic farming. That would be a fun one. But let's dive into geographic farming. Let's start 101. <clears throat> How do you find a farm? You're a real estate agent and you go, okay, I want to start... Uh, marketing to a certain geographic area, how do you, do you just say, that one looks good? Do you say, this is where I live, that looks good? Do you say, do you look at specific numbers? What are the factors you go into when you decide, this is the area I'm going to, to market, and eventually the goal is to dominate? Correct. So what I'll tell you is, I'm going to tell you first what all the other coaches, all the other podcasts, webinars, what they all say, which is you want to go to an area that typically has at least a 5 or 6% turnover, no dominant agent, minimum of 500 houses. Okay, real quick, how do we get those numbers? So best bet is to use your title rep, some like Fidelity or whoever you're working with. Those guys are usually a great resource. Just reach out to your title rep. They can help you with this. Um, if you want to do it yourself... Just don't. No, Just fine. reach okay. out to your title rep. They'll help you with this. They all have software that can help figure out turnover rates and all of that. And you stuff. say no dominant agent. What percentage, at what point are they dominant? 15%? Um, honestly, it's if you can get more than 10, if somebody's got more than 10% market share in any specific farm, that's actually really high. Okay. Um, so I would be cautious if I start to see somebody with more than 10% of the market, that would be something I would be a little bit cautious about. Okay. Now, good. Full disclosure, right? Here's our sign, City of Santee. Um, when I moved into Santee, there's an agent who probably had that much market share, if not more. Um, and so this is why these are kind of just general guidelines to work with, but these are not the end-all be-all because this individual, I love him to death. He's amazing, Ron Durrett, Shout out, super cool dude. Uh, but Ron Durrett is pushing 60, 70 years old. The type of clientele that is going to choose to work with somebody who's 60 or 70 versus me it's very different, right? Ron is old school. He's out there. He's knocking doors. He's still using carbon copy contracts. Last time I checked, he still has a pager. Like, dude is old school, but he's a hustler. He grinds. He knocks doors. That's his market. Where We're much more heavy with social media, with media in general. We're attracting a different type of clientele. So even though he was relatively dominant in the area, there was still plenty of opportunity for us to come in because we didn't have to try to take market share away from him. We were just taking market share that was available and up for grabs from other agents in the area. Cool. So don't just rule an area out automatically because somebody has 10% market share. So be conscious of the competition. Um, everybody, all competition is not the same, I think is what the general message that I want to kind of convey in that regard. Cool. Um, but here's the thing that the coaches and, and everything else out there doesn't talk about and honestly, this is the most important thing when it comes to farming. It has to be an area that you're passionate about. If you're not passionate about it, you're not going to be persistent with it. And I am a prime example of that. The first neighborhood that I ever farmed, I farmed purely based on numbers, right? It had a high enough turnover rate. There was no dominant agent. There was 500 plus units. I was like, I'm going to farm this neighborhood. What was the problem? I fucking hated the neighborhood. <laughs> I hated it. I thought the location sucked. I hated the floor plans. These things were like four stories tall. I was like, why would anybody want to live here with all these stairs? There's nothing you can walk to. There's traffic all around you. That was my mindset. That's what I thought about that neighborhood. Well, guess how many houses I sold in that neighborhood? None. Zero, right? 
because when you don't have passion for something, you give up on it. You don't have that same level of persistence as something that you're truly passionate about. Now, you didn't live in your farm then. Correct. And now you, I know you now live in your farm. Correct. Do you, you think it's necessary that you live in your farm? No. I know plenty of agents who absolutely dominate farms that they do not live in. Um, I think arguments can be made both ways. If it's good or bad to live in your farm, um, for me... What better way to prove that I'm passionate about my farm and that I love my farm than to actually live in my farm? Um, and when I go into a listing appointment, I have something that I can utilize that no other, I guess there are a few other agents in my neighborhood, but that 99.9% .9 of other agents can't use. And that's the fact that I actually own a home in this neighborhood. And so when I list your home for sale, I have more than just a commission on the line. I have my home's value on the line. Because if I shortchange you, on the sales price of your home, I'm shortchanging the value of my home. There's a direct effect on the price I sell your home for on the value of my home. So you better believe I'm going to fight tooth and nail to get you every penny I can. That's a statement that you can't make if you don't live in the farm. So there's definitely some benefits to living in the farm. It's not a must, but that's not going to hurt. So let's talk a little bit about your farm. What is your... How many homes? Um, what's, do, do you know the exact turnover rate? I'm sure you have an idea of the turnover rate. And I know it changes based on seasons. Um, but how many homes, turnover rate, and what percent of market share do you own in that? I don't know any of those numbers. Oh. I just know I've sold enough homes in my neighborhood to pay for my entire house. I mean, you know, you know how many homes there are, right? I know how many homes there are. How many homes? There's three components to the, sub, or the neighborhood that I work. Again, I don't farm big neighborhoods. Um, I don't want to do a ton of business. I want to help other people do a ton of business. So I just like to try to do two, three deals a month and help my team do two, 300 deals a month. That's my goal. Um, so in my neighborhood, there are 209 single family residences. There are two condo communities. One has 148 and one has 86. Oh yeah. I don't know any of these numbers. Uh, let me sell. And there's three different floor plans and the, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, there's oh. 13. Okay. Yeah. And then there's four and then there's four. Okay. Um, what at, at your peak? What was your um, mark percent market share of that farm? So on the listing side in the farm, we uh, list roughly fifty percent of the houses in the neighborhood. On the buy side, we represent uh, roughly twenty five percent of the buyers in the neighborhood. So. Okay. All in all, if you merge all of that together, that puts us at a market share somewhere around 37.5%. Cool. Um, so what do you do to get started? So you move, So you moved into the neighborhood. Yes. Say, hey, this is a cool neighborhood. Let's do this. Yes. Step one. Yeah. So uh, a couple things. One, I think it's very important you get involved in the community. So if you're moving into a community, find out what organizations there are within that community and get involved in them. Find out what is it that, that resonates with you, that connects with you. Um, is it a chamber of commerce? Is it um, some sort of organization for the schools or for the elderly or whatever it is? Like get involved in your community um, because when you get involved in you know these charities, these nonprofits, stuff like that, you tend to be around other you know, connected people. Um, a lot of times what's funny is the people who volunteer their time for nonprofits tend to make the most money, which is totally weird, right? Doesn't You don't think that way, but that's actually how it is because good people who make a lot of money understand that they're very fortunate and they do their part to give back. And so you, especially like the Boys and Girls Club, oh my gosh, like the people that get involved clubs. with that. Clubs, yeah, Boys and Girls Clubs. 
grad, you gotta pronounce that properly. Um, those tend to be some of the most well-connected, wealthiest people in the community. So find ways to get involved with different organizations within your community. I love Chamber of Commerce just because it's a great place to connect with all the other business owners in the community. Well, the other business owners in the community tend to be the people with the most money. So first and foremost, I would find ways to get involved. And that could even be coaching the, the soccer team or the the Little League team or something like that. Or sponsoring. Or sponsoring, yeah. Just do a lot to get involved in the community. Um, put yourself out there. And then second, you got to do a lot of the traditional type of stuff, right? Which is when you first move into a neighborhood, you need to really make your presence known in that neighborhood. Um, so there's companies that talk about an 8 by 8 campaign, which is basically sending eight pieces of mail over an eight-week time period. I think that's great. Um, the initial piece, I would send something that's just kind of an introduction. And... Tell your story, like stories sell. So say, hey, we're the Whistle family. Uh, we just moved here from Sarah Mesa and you know, we moved here because we love the family vibe and, and you know, the community feel and we're so excited to be a part of this community and connect with you guys and build community with you. Um, just wanted to introduce us, you know, my wife runs a nonprofit, I'm in real estate, you know, we're so excited to be a part of the neighborhood. If there's ever anything we can do for you, here's our contact info. Like just true, authentic, real, who you are. But start out with an introduction, um, a letter, picture with you, your family, the whole nine. And now you start hitting with the real estate stuff. So first thing is just to humanize yourself and show that you're a real person and you're a family and you know that you have a kid or you have animals or whatever it is that you're into. And then hit them, boom, seven times after that for the next seven weeks or eight out of the first eight. Um, and you're hitting them with, you know, market updates, letting them know what's happening in the community, things like community events, things like new listings in the neighborhood. And here's a beautiful thing, guys. There's, and Dan Beer, my buddy over at EXP, taught me a lot of this stuff, is that sometimes we have these limiting beliefs in our heads. We put these, these imaginary restrictions on our marketing. And what he means by that is think about like you want to send out a just sold postcard. Define just sold. What does that mean? Well, for us, we usually send them out within, what, a week of it selling? Is that the definition of just sold? No. If I sold it a month ago, did I just sell it? Is there any definition for just sold? There's really not. Mm -mm. We put these imaginary constraints on ourselves. So even if you've never sold anything in that neighborhood, or you sold something there but it was two years ago, there's nothing that says you can't say sold or just sold in a neighborhood doesn't have to have been sold in the last week or two you could put something you sold five years ago in that neighborhood that's fine or maybe you haven't sold anything in that neighborhood but you've sold something in another neighborhood that might look like that neighborhood there's nothing that says you can't put a picture of the house you actually sold and say sold for a hundred percent of list price in five days you just don't have to put the full address on there there's nothing that says you have to put the full address on there you could just say sold near you and put a picture of a house that you legitimately sold that looks like a house in that neighborhood just to get credibility. And it's near them. It's way closer than China, right? It is. So, okay. So, so you send you're going to hit it eight. eight times and then you want to hit it twice a month for life. You need to stay in front of these people consistently because um, they're going to have other people hitting them as well. So no matter how much market share you have, you have to consistently hit that neighborhood. Never, ever get comfortable. Never rest on it. Um, in addition, I think the next thing that's really important that you do, you need to be doing open houses in the farm consistently. And so here's the thing, if you want to break into a farm and maybe you don't have money, so sending all these mailers isn't an option for you, you don't have that check equity, you're going to have to use sweat equity. So what I would be doing now in perfect world, you put the sweat and check equity together 
and you start putting money in the bank much quicker. But let's say you don't have the check equity, but you have time and you can put some sweat equity into it. I'm open housing every chance I get. I'm open housing at least every weekend, if not twice a week. And then in addition to actually doing the open houses, I'm door knocking the neighborhood consistently. And I'm just letting everybody know. Week after week, I'm knocking. And what is that gonna do? That's gonna make my presence known in that neighborhood. And it's gonna show people I'm a hustler. Like I'm out there working, right? Because I'm willing to knock on your door. And if you have the opportunity, if you can make phone calls to everybody in the neighborhood, invite them to your open houses, that's an amazing thing. And then you do the open houses. And now they're seeing your signs in the neighborhood over and over again. And here's the beautiful thing. You can put open house signs up and you could hold somebody else's listing open. You don't have to have a listing in that neighborhood. You can hold somebody else's listing open. But now perception is gonna be that you have listings in that neighborhood over and over and over again. So all this stuff starts to become full circle, guys. And for postcards, we're using Corefact, correct? Corefact, yes. Cool. Um, okay, so you do your eight by eight, you do your two every month. Um, I wanna get to two last questions. I know we're running a long time. How do you know if it's working? Or it slash, when do you get your first deal from it? Okay. Um, and then when do you quit? When do you go, yeah. hey, it's not working, I'm done? I would plan on 12 months minimum before you get your first listing in the neighborhood. And be comfortable with that and go into it with that mindset. If you go into it and you're not passionate about a community and you don't get any business in the first two or three months, you're going to quit. But if it's a community you're passionate about, you're going to keep pushing and you're going to be persistent and you're going to push through those tough times. If you get to a point where you're 12 months in and you haven't even had an appointment or a phone call or anything, that would be the point I'd be sitting down analyzing if I should continue to do this or not. But you should get some penetration within 12 months. Cool. Cool. Those All are right. my questions. Whistle widgets of the week. What do you got for us? So I have this nifty little tool called a cam ranger. Oh, shoot. I did it wrong. I have this tool, we're gonna hide it, um, that allows you to connect your DSLR camera to a phone or an iPad and control all of the settings um, that way. So what this does is it allows me to change my settings from my camera while I'm across the room doing different things. And then I can stack it in, in editing. So this guy is called a Cam Ranger. This is the first time I said that word. Oops, it's over here, this is Tom's. Um, and it's, what it is, is basically it's a small little router. Um, you connect to it on your phone via Wi-Fi, and using the app, you can change shutter speed, aperture, um, focus, ISO, basically change all of your settings to where if I shoot it and go, oh, now it's too dark, or I want it brighter in the back that I'll edit together, um, this allows you to do all that without touching the camera. And that's really important because one, the more you touch the camera, the more it shakes, the blurrier, or the blurrier it gets when you combine them. Um, and two, it really sucks if you're flashing around the room, using a flash around the room, and have to go back, hit the shutter button, which moves the camera, and then run over there and flash. This will save you from a lot of that. They just came out with the Cam Ranger 2. I think it's about 300 bucks. Okay. Um, but Tom and I both use this, and it's integral for how we shoot properties. Beautiful. Um, so my widget, is a device that we've actually utilized to land multiple um, new build listings. And what this little device does is it allows me to take a 2D floor plan, convert it into a 3D rendering, and then allow a potential buyer to walk through that rendering of a new construction home before ground has ever been broken. 
So think about that if you're trying to go out there and land some new build business and you can help that developer pre-sell their homes before they ever even break ground, that's a pretty amazing thing for a builder. So what this tool is, there's many different versions, but ultimately you want a device that will run Google Cardboard um, is what the technology is called. The actual one that we utilize is called a Viewmaster. Many of you will recognize this. Back in the day, you used to drop the little thing in the top and and click through and you could uh, see all the different little slides. Well, with this, the way that it works is this opens up, pop your phone inside of it, close it, and put it up to your eyes and now somebody can physically walk through the entire home before the home is ever built. Um, so again, Google Cardboard is the technology. There's a lot of different goggles that are work for it. Uh, I use the Viewmaster just because it's kind of nostalgic. It's fun to play with. Um, these things are like 20 bucks. Uh, so that is my whistle widget of the week. I promised we talk about the Media Mayor Mastermind okay. a little bit. I, I teased it in the beginning. You can go to thewhistleway.com and it has information about the next Media Mayor Mastermind. But what it is basically, it's in San Diego. We rent out a sick house either on the beach or near the beach and do a two-day rundown of everything that you and I have done together for the last five years for how to get our community series. We've taken uh, Gary's digital mayor concept, turned it into your alliteration. So we have the media mayor concept um, and basically walk through step-by-step -step with checklist, either um, how to utilize a photographer slash videographer um, and how to maximize both reach, engagement, um, and how to monetize these community videos. So that's on the, uh, if you go to mediamayormastermind.com, that's on below as well as where you can join our Facebook group, subscribe to our YouTube, or subscribe to the podcast. I love it. Well, hopefully you guys got a ton of value out of today. We want you guys to go out there and crush it. If you want to submit a question for us to answer on a future episode of the show, go to thewhistleway.com, join the Facebook group, ask your, ask your questions there. We will get them answered. Again, hopefully you guys got a ton of value out of today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. Later.